Hi, and welcome to the podcast ministry of New Life Church in Springfield, Ohio. We hope that the transformative truths of God's Word impact, challenge, and bless you. Get right into today. I want to preach on the best thing that never happened to you. It's the title that God just kind of gave me um, in the in the flow of, of what the Holy Spirit was leading me to. The best thing that never happened uh, to you. Matthew 16, 24 through 26. We'll begin reading the word in Matthew 16, 24 through 26. I'll give you just a moment to, uh, to get there. When you have it, say amen. All right. Matthew 16, 24 through 26. Then Jesus said to his disciples... Matthew 16, 24 through 26. Sorry, we got a little. One moment. Matthew 16, 24 through 26. Thank you so much. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Save his life, will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? I'm going to read one more passage here. I'm just going to go ahead and read it. Matthew 13, 44 and 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid. And for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much um, that you came looking for us, God. We didn't even know quite how dead we were in our sins. We knew we were miserable. We knew that we needed something, God, but uh, there's nothing that we could have done to instigate our own salvation, God, or to get ourselves out of the mess uh, that we were in, Heavenly Father, but we thank you that you saw us, and even in our, our tattered and broken and filthy state, God, you loved us, and you loved us in that moment as much as you could ever love us, and for that, we say thank you, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Christ has uh, only one thing in this world of sin, and it's a pretty good baseline to start with. He, he created the heavens and the earth, and you know, we read the Genesis account. We understand that he is the preemptive one. He, he created, he spoke into existence all the things that we see and, and feel. And, you know, it's all from him does re- our reality flow. It's all based on God. However, um, because of sin, because of death, this world is going to pass away. Um, this world is going, to, uh, is, is going to come to an end. Uh, it's not perfect. It's not, uh, you know, honestly, the, the earth doesn't glorify God. It's, it's full of sin. It's full of hardship and heartache and pain and things that God never intended for us to, uh, you know, to partake of. This is not, the, the, the world is of his creation, his design, but, but its current state is not of his, of his plan, of his heart, you know, of, of what he intended it to be because of free will, because he gave us the opportunity and through man's Poor choices, sinful choices, sin entered into the world and created all the pain, the problems that we see. In Christ, when you look around this world, you see the brokenness and the pain and the suffering and the, you know, and, and the, uh, the, the world systems, you know, 
Hollywood and politics and, and, and all the things, you know, the, the wars and, uh, you know, the, the fear and the uh, just all the things that cause pain and, and panic. Christ, that's not his stuff. Even the suffering, you know, the starvation and that say to you that Christ has only one thing in this world and that is his bride. That is what he has here. He doesn't have anything else here. Like, there's not really a huge reason for him to, to, to visit or really to, uh, you know, to, to be super invested other than his bride, his church. His church, which we are a part of. That, that he, he loves and that he, and he wants everyone to join that. And, you know, we read the word of God and we, we see how Christ himself started to word these things. And he said, um, it's like a huge party. It's like a huge wedding you know, celebration. And, and I want you to go out and invite everybody because I want them all to be involved. You know, in, I want them to be a part of that bride of Christ. I want them to be a part of the church. So go into the highways and the byways. Do everything you can to compel them to come. And the reason why he wants to compel them to come into this feast and be a part of this is because that's all that he has. His bride. He is invested in this broken world for one thing and one thing only, and that is the souls of the lost who can become, through the salvation of his sacrifice and his blood, the church, the bride of Christ. It's the only thing he has. Bought, redeemed, paid for, his bride is the only thing that he has. And some people say, you know, well, I have church on, I have church on my own. You know, I do, I do my own thing, I have church on my No, you don't. You don't. If your version of church qualities in your own mind, if it doesn't look like the Bible, what he says is probably, he, he's got an idea, you know. If, if, whenever maybe you're a young man or you're a young woman, you've got a whole, you know, whole laundry list of what you think that person's going to look like or, you know, what they're going to, uh, to sound like. Or, you know, you've got, you got a list of different things. You know, that, this is what I want my man to, you know, or, you know, I think everybody has kind of done that. You might, you might be more exacting in some areas. I hope you are. I hope you don't just date anybody who just floats through. Amen? You, know, you, you, should, you should have some, you know, you should have some uh, high standards for yourself, and you should meet those yourself. You know, is that, something that, that would be dumb to have super high standards for everybody else and then just live yourself you know, with no standard whatsoever of living or you know, of purity or of personal excellence or desire. That, that wouldn't work out too well, would it? Oh, well, Christ has exacting standards for his bride. Now, everyone's welcome, no matter how broken, no matter how hurt, no matter how messed up your life is. Oh, you're welcome for sure. However, he knows what it's supposed to look like, and he tells us what it's supposed to look like, and we're supposed to work toward that. He's coming back for a bride without spot or wrinkle, and that doesn't mean you achieve perfection in yourself, uh, but you follow Christ, and you allow him to take care of the things in you uh, that are broken and that are messed up, that are wrinkly, you know? And my hair out, and then there's so much silver you know, and it's, I think I might need to, to, to get it cut back. Hey, it happens, right? But Christ isn't looking for ex these exacting standards that we can't meet that are based on our outward appearance or our money or our performance. He wants somebody who is sold out to him, who does what the Word of God says. What does the Word of God say? Um, if anyone desires to come after me, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. It doesn't say that you're, you know, you're perfect or you're wealthy or you're smart or you're super talented. It says 
just, just pick me over you. That's really all I want. That's all that Jesus really wants. Isn't that funny? I think I could preach that for about 20 seconds. Uh, I think that you could, you could make a case that all Jesus really wants out of you is for you to pick him over you. Over the things that you want in your life, over the things that your flesh desires, over the priorities maybe uh, you know, of your personal life, pick him. And if you pick him in every situation, you're going to look fine. Don't worry. I can't, I can't, you can't measure up to all the church people. Oh, hush, stop. Nobody, we're all broken. We're all working on it. Uh, the point is, uh, if you would just pick Jesus instead of you in your own life and make a process of that, you'll be fine. You'll be better than fine. You'll be, you'll be great. But that's what he demands. That, that, that's what his bride looks at. Pick Jesus. Uh, take up your cross and follow me. You know what a cross is for? It's so funny how we can, uh, we, we, we're very vivid in our understanding of Jesus if we take it up and follow him. The level of sacrifice that he may, in, in fact, does require. He only has one thing in this world, and that's his church. And the word of God tells us what that looks like. Uh, it looks like covenant fellowship with believers. Hebrews 10 and 25 says, don't forsake the gathering together of yourselves uh, you know, as, you know, as believers. You know, be, be a family, be a church, come together and don't sneak off and just do everything by yourself. You know, if, if, if the church is doing something, then be a part of that. Be in covenant fellowship, be in regular fellowship with the believers. Be a part, okay? Be, be, you know, if it's family, then, then, then show up for the family stuff, you know? Service to the body, Ephesians 4 and 12. Teaching, serving, feeding, encouraging, empowering. These are things um, that, that we do one as another. We, we, as a body, if you're part of the body of Christ, if you're part of the bride of, of Christ, um, then you're going to be involved with what the New Testament says um, the church looks like. One and a half amens, and that's all I needed. Um, if you're going to be a part of the body of Christ, you've got to be, you, you got to be ministering. You've you got to be um, you know, uh, invested in the body of Christ. Fourthly, ministry to the world. Acts and widows and the poor. Uh, getting involved, being Jesus to the world as a unit. You know, not, just, not, not just being a lone ranger, but, but trying to get involved and serving together. We're better together, amen? We can accomplish more as a body than we can just as one person or you know, a singularity out there just kind of doing things with zero accountability and you know, zero uh, investment in the local body. Work together. The, bo- the, 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 body, the church body has many members, you know? Whether it's a thumb or arm or fingers, we can't do it separately. We need to be united in Christ. Accountability and faithfulness. Ephesians 4.11, Christ gave the church evangelists, pastors, prophets, and teachers for the edification of believers, for the teaching, to be dedicated uh, to the work of ministry. And Titus 1.9 says... He must hold firmly and trustworthy the word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction and sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. We need to be a a part of a system um, that that is discerning of what the word says. Amen? We need to to allow people into our... Let me me get these toes real quick. Uh, We need to allow people into our circle and into our world um, who can speak things into our life that we don't like. Whenever we're just kind of sliding through life and, and, you know, it's, and we're at such a place of teaching or correction, all of us, 
I'm the pastor at New Life, but I've got several people, wonderful men of God. And if this goes online, then you can tag one. You can tag Brother Roger Whetstone because he's one of them. People who, who say, speak things into my life, and I don't always like to hear it. You know, maybe critiquing some of my preaching or, or, or you're saying, are you sure your spirit's right there? Or are you sure that that's the right way to look at that or to think about that? Or, or sometimes it ain't, you know? Sometimes it's good constructive. Are you sure? When they know good and well, it's not. Amen? We need to have people in our lives and we need to be a part of a system that allows for us to receive some things. Hmm, don't really love that, but I kind of feel like there's something to that and I'm gonna pray about it. I'm gonna search the word and I'm gonna check myself. There is nothing more dangerous than total spiritual anonymity. And I'm just going to go out and whatever, and my own interpretation of the word, and you know, I'm just going to live without any kind of correction. Nobody can't tell me nothing. That's not a healthy place to be for anyone. For anyone. No matter where you are or what you're, you're doing, that is not a healthy place to be. We're almost through. We've almost navigated this very uh, tempestuous passage of Scripture in this line of thought. But let me tell you this right now. The church is not some subjective buffet of theology and religion. It is the bride of Christ. And as children of God, it is our responsibility to read, to study, to pray, to be a part, and to meet those standards which God has so lavishly allowed us to read and to receive in our lives. Amen? There's a song, I think Casey likes this song, um, or it was somebody else. It's a Christian song, I think it's Jeremy Camp or somebody, but it was called A Slow Fade. Anyone remember that song? He's got that, he's got that crazy one. It's a slow fade. You know, he's, he's, got, he's got this real raspy voice, but he's a Christian artist, and he, he sings a lot of pretty, I think, pretty pointed, um, accurate you know, songs. He's a pretty good songwriter, and he just talks about how, uh, how we can kind of just fade out spiritually. You know, and, and, and it always looks the same. I, I, I just, nobody ever, like, that I hardly, you know, I put a caveat, hardly anyone that I've ever seen backslides because of, like, a, a one serious trauma, you know. Usually, we, the, in those moments, we go to God, and, you know, and he, he helps us through it, although it, it, I'm sure it does happen. Um, a lot of times, it's just, I'm just so busy. I just got a lot to do. I'm, so, I'm just kind of stretched thin, and, you know, this is going on with work, and, you know, this is that, and you know, things are just, and, and next thing you know, we're just kind of uh, at an arm's distance a little bit. You know, man, it's lace now where I'm just, um, you know, never stop believing as I backslide. Jesus is on the throne. Never, never, never do we let go of our theology before we let go of the reality of a walk with God. Say, love good worship. Love me some Hillsong. Love, oh yeah, the word, yeah. Great, it's great. Fading out the whole time. Love preaching. Yeah, love the church. We'll be there. Slow fade. Nobody lets go of their theology before they let go of their true connectivity to Christ. And then one day you look up and you know that in your heart, you know that Christ may still be the Lord of your theology, but he isn't anymore the Lord of your life. I am preaching some sobering stuff. I have seen it happen, and I can't stop it from happening. 
but I can preach the truth of God's word without stinting, and that's what we'll do. Christ doesn't live in your theology, but in your heart and life. And if you're the only one who can see him on the throne of your life, it's a mirage. It's seeing what you want to see and not what's truly there. My friend, don't fade. The, uh, the company Apple is worth a lot of money. And originally there was a, an investor, Ronald Wayne. Mr. Ronald Wayne um, had 10%. And he sold that 10% early on in the company's, uh, <clears throat> in the company's you know, founding years. And when he sold that 10%, he got 500 bucks out of it. 10% of Apple for $500. Somebody throw out a number what that would be worth today. 200 million. Can I go up? 500 million. Can I go up? Five billion, can I go up? Double it and double it again. Some cash. Come on, somebody throw out a big one. Just like a stupid number. 25 billion, I need to go up. 100 billion, go down 7 billion. It was, anyone remember the original Toy Story? Uh, whenever, you know, the, the, the potato head, there was a reward on there. Um, and it said, you know, for blind Bart, uh, you know, and he's playing with the toys. And I will never, you know, it's just my, my childhood. Um, you know, and there was a, a cardboard, you know, wanted poster of Mr. Potato Head. And it said 50 bazillion dollars. And that is like the number that comes to my mind when I read that. I was like, that is how much Blind Bart is worth. You know, that is, you know, on, you know to, and the little, the, a child's imagination. That is so much money. Fifty bazillion dollars, $93 billion? Are you kidding me? And he sold it for 500 bucks. Sold it for some people's car payment. And some people's more monthly mortgage. Sold it for, guarantee you, uh, we could come up with that together right now. Oh, somebody, somebody just gave me a word. He sold it for less than what one Apple phone costs. Ooh, I think that hit home. Good one. Good night. You know, and, and <coughs> like I said, we, we treaded pretty heavy there for a minute, so we can lighten, you know, lighten up hopefully for, for a minute. But what would you do with $93 billion? I don't even know. I don't even know where to start. Like, I, I, I can really account for like 20 million, <coughs> you know, houses and, you know, and, and pay my tithes. Come on, somebody. Yes, Jesus. Pay my tithes first. What would this church do? <laughs> somebody paid their tithes on $93 billion. Come on, somebody. Anyway. What would you do with that kind of money? What would you do if you found a treasure like that? Okay, because I think everybody has had like some kind of imagination to where, uh, um, you know, and Johnny, he had to work today and it kills me. I miss you, Johnny. Um, <clears throat> but he, he's always out there with his metal detector. And I kind of wish he was here because I'd be like, what would you do if you ever like found the Spanish treasure, you know, or whatever? <laughs> yeah. 
what would you do with that kind of money? Have you ever had like that kind of like, you know, imagination of what, you know, finding something like that, finding, you know, the, the money and then turning it into the police because it's the right thing to do, but nobody claimed it after 60 days and it became yours and you're just like, oh, or something crazy like that. What would you do with that kind of treasure? Wouldn't it be awesome? Wouldn't you pay your tithes? <clears throat> Let me tell you one more story um, about, and, and some of you have heard this before, so act like you haven't. Come on, work together here. There's a great story about uh, a baseball player, and this baseball player's name was Matt White, and he wasn't that good. I mean, to be in the major leagues, I guess you do have to be good, but as far as you know, major leaguers are considered, not really that great. Uh, I think in the grand total of like seven seasons, he in the, in the major leagues, which is nine and a half more innings than I have pitched, so whatever, but not really the most successful guy when it comes to pro sports. Somewhat look at him one in a million just for being in, in the league. But Matt, uh, <clears throat> kind of halfway through, I think around 2003, somewhere in there, he, uh, he did kind of a favor, and he purchased um, from his aunt, who was ailing. She was getting up there in age. All she had was like, you know, in Massachusetts, this big old um, chunk of land out in the middle of nowhere, no roads to it, nothing. Wasn't really that good for anything, and she needed to go to the nursing home. So he did her a favor um, and bought, you know, the land off her for 1000 bucks an acre, which is, you know, a good deal. Even if it is in the middle of nowhere, a thousand bucks an acre, man, you can get three acres you know, next to my house for like $65,000. People are crazy. You know, it's, lands can be expensive. So he goes and he buys this, and his plan is to build a, a nice house out on the acreage. You know, he's done fairly well, even though he's never really, you know, hit it big. And then he goes out there, he gets a surveyor. Next thing you know, he finds that uh, the land's too hard to really drill a well or to really build structurally on. And so it's just, it's basically worth nothing. And then another surveyor goes out there and finds that the, the stone that is underneath that acreage is worth billions. Look it up. Look it up on, on Google or whatever. Matt White, a nursing home, get the chunk of money that she needed so she could live her life and, and ended up looking you know, like it was going to be worthless. And what a turnaround. Can you imagine if we went out there and drilled on your land and just like the, the biggest oil strike, um, you know, in, in modern history just comes out of your land and you're just a, uh, amen. Yeah. Can you imagine that? Or just going out and buying, buying a piece of land and finding gold on there. I cannot hardly imagine, but that's what the story of Matt White. And next thing you know, he's, uh, he's not really that worried about professional baseball anymore. A billionaire. And uh, if you can come to the piano, I'd appreciate it. My question for us today is, uh, I'm going to read this passage one more time, and then I'm going to pose an important question. Jesus can say more in one sentence than I can in an hour, right? Unfortunately, that is not your option. You know, we'll just have two Jesus sentences, and we'll, we'll be dismissed. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid, and for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. It's almost a little bit sneaky, to be perfectly honest. I mean, he didn't do anything illegal. He just kind of covers it back up. But, you know, this guy, I don't know what the treasure was. Let's just say it's gold. It's a ton of gold and stuff. And, uh, and so he's out there. I don't know what he's doing. If he's propped through on his way to work, and next thing you know, uh, he trips over something, sees the corner of, you know, of the boxes. You know, one of the boxes has been uncovered, and he looks, and he realizes real quick, 
all this treasure. This is going to change everything. It's going to change my life. It's going to change my family's lives. I can't believe this. And so he's like, whoop. And then, uh, you know, the, the, I think the scariest moment is then you go into town. You're like, hey, what's going on? You know, you, you sidle up to the, you know, whatever it is and, you know, to the, in, in the store. And you talk to somebody say, you know who owns that field out there? Oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Cool, 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 cool. Um, you know where he lives? You know, I was just kind of looking for a field and uh, happened through it. So I don't know what, what kind of chicanery, you know, is involved in this, you know, because he hides it, obviously, and then he goes and he buys it. Um, he, he finds this field and this treasure in it, and, um, and then before telling anybody else about it, you know, or, or really get involved with anybody else, he goes and makes sure he owns the field that the treasure is in. Now, this is important soteriologically speaking. He doesn't buy the treasure but he invests in the field. See, now your salvation, you can't buy that. There's nothing you can do um, to earn it or to go sell everything that you have. Your righteousness, the word of God says, is like filthy rags. It's not impressive. You know, it's, it's not part of it. Like it's not, your works are not acceptable currency. Worthless. However, he can go and get the field that the treasure's in. So that does kind of denote a little bit of a responsibility on our part to proactively accept the treasure, right? So I just, this is where I want to really, really focus for just the next couple minutes. And I really want to talk to you guys. And here's the question. Some of you have found the treasure. You have found the treasure. You've seen it. You've touched it. You've uncovered it. You know what it does. You know what it's worth. You do. And my question is, are you buying it? Or have you walked away and you told people about it and you, uh, you got excited about it? You got up maybe out of this altar and said, oh, yeah, there's a treasure. You know, there's, I found this treasure. It's great. It's great. It's great. You know, it's going to change my life forever. I'm going to go to heaven. And, you know, my life, my relationships can be healed. And if I will follow Christ, then all the other things, you know, shall be added unto me. It's great. It's going to be wonderful. And then you walked in. Then you're just like, yeah, this treasure in the field. And, oh, there's something shiny. And then the next thing you know, you have not. You haven't bought what you found and I've got a rude awakening for you and I love you but finding it that won't get you into heaven that won't change your life just knowing that truth exists knowing that Jesus loves you that won't that won't do you might as well have not known it was there in the first place what does it say this guy does? How aggressive is he in this, in this passion? He doesn't just, you know, say, I'll tell you what he does not do. He doesn't go home and say, I'm just going to save up for a little while. And then whenever I'm ready, whenever I got myself, my finances in order, I'm going to, at that point, we're going to go and buy this. It's going to be, and hope that it's still there. Who does that? Who would do that with treasure laying there? I'm just going to start a separate savings account, you know, and I'm going to kind of pull some stuff together. I'm going to talk to some investors, and, um, and we're, we're going to make this happen. You know, when it happens, it's going to be great. And No. This guy blows you.
blows your mind. He went and sold everything he had. Everything that he had was at that point now wrapped up in this treasure, in this field. He went and bought that field, and he, you know, that's how you do your work, right? Come on, somebody. I got my plow and my oxen, and that's how I make money. That's how I function. You can't sell that. I mean, you know, let's not be, get carried away with this Christianity stuff. Let's not get carried away with the walk. You can't quit your job, or you can't like make your job subservient to your walk with Christ. That would be crazy. That would be insane. That would be nuts. Yeah, who would do that? This guy goes and he sells the plow. He says, forget the plow. Who cares about the plow? The plow, you know, there's a treasure. And his wife's like, what are you doing? He's like, you know, just wait. You know, sometimes, you know, and, and he goes and sells the plow. Like, what are you doing, dude? You're not, how are you going to bring in the harvest? He said, oh, I found, a, I found a different harvest. How are you going to feed it? How are you, you going to do this? And he goes and he's like, this is not enough. That guy told me $50,000 for that field, 50,000 denarii for the field. And that's not enough. And I've only got 12 out of the ox and one out of the plow. Uh, um, I'm going to sell this house. I'm going to sell this house. And the wife's like, I know. He's like, no, you don't understand what I found. And if you could, if you could just see it, if you could just touch it, if you could just understand what I have found, even this house is not as important as that. So he goes and he sells the house. Oh, man, now, now we got to, we're, we're up to, to 40,000 denarii. We've almost got it. You almost got it. I don't know what to do. I'm going to sell everything. Um, I'm going to sell my horse. Now I'm going to sell this. Now I'm going to sell. Uh, then I'm going to get you a big one. Yeah. Like as big as this room. I'm gonna sell everything that I have. I'm gonna sell my hobbies. I'm gonna sell my passions. I'm gonna, now we've shifted, in case you didn't know, I just shifted. I just jumped into something else. I'm gonna sell my personal dreams and my plans. I'm gonna sell my personal time and the things that, uh, you know, that, that make me happy. I'm, I'm not, all those things. And it's not that I can't enjoy myself, but there is nothing more important than this treasure. Everything else belongs to God. And it doesn't matter that much because of what I found. I'm buying what I found, no matter what the cost. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, lay down your life, take up your cross, and follow me. And now let me put a little caveat on there because I can already tell some people might, you know, might, might you know, try and misconstrue this. Name me one thing that is more beneficial to this man's family than becoming an overnight billionaire. Your broke down hovel hut that you're living in with your oxen and your, and your stuff. Are you kidding me? That benefits the family more than him selling it all to, to get something that he can share with them? So don't make an excuse. Let's not make an excuse. There's nothing worth more 